And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode and a new season of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. And we also, this season, have a brand new regular co-host, Flow Hockey's Chris Peters. We are super excited to have Chris on board with us this year. And we get to break him in right away with some trade news on the prospect front because Nils Lundqvist is going from the Rangers to the Stars for a conditional first rounder and a conditional fourth rounder. So new guy, let's go right to you for your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I I was I, I was surprised it got done this quickly. Um, I thought it was going to be a little bit of a dragged out process. Once Lundquist and and his agent said, "Hey, uh, we're not we're not going to report. We want to get a trade," and, and that you know obviously can limit a team's leverage. But when you have a player like Nils Lundquist, who is still young, who's only got one season of North American hockey, uh, pro hockey experience under his belt. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of upside left there for, for a team to get. So Dallas goes in, they fill a need, uh, an offensive defenseman, uh, you know, he's two, a two way defenseman with some really good intelligence, good mobility and things like that. But, you know, the question is, is last year was only okay for Nils Lundqvist. It wasn't an easy transition necessarily. It obviously didn't go well with the Rangers at the NHL level. And then in the AHL, it took him a while to get going. And, And so how much of an adjustment period remains for Nils Lundqvist? Um, but as a highly intelligent player, as a guy that I think that that you know has had success at the SHL level, I mean, one of the best seasons ever by by a, a young defenseman in that league. 
you know, I, I think that he is absolutely, you know, capable of being a, a high-end player. But I, I really think Chris Jury did a good job of of not settling for something just because a player demanded a trade. He got a first-round pick out of the deal, gets another conditional pick. Um, you know, meanwhile, Dallas top 10 protects their pick. So, you know, it's the Connor Bedard year, and you don't want to necessarily waste anything there. Um, but yeah, but I think that, you know, overall. I thought it was a fair trade, and I think it's going to take some time for this one to really play out, and, and we'll have to wait and see how Nils makes that transition. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Chris said there. Uh, if you look at where I rated uh, Nils Lundqvist this past summer, both in the New York Rangers uh, farm system uh, rankings and then my overall under 23, I had him rated still as a projected top four defenseman, which would equate to someone who would still have first-round value, and I think I had him pretty high on the U23 list as someone I thought could be Essentially, a worth a mid first rounder, which is what he went for. You know, probably we'll see where where Dallas finishes this season. But I think saying it'll be a mid to mid late first seems realistic. What's interesting, as kind of Chris alludes to, is I think if you look at the player, which is not the biggest defenseman. You know, he's good, not an amazing skater, but his hockey sense is outstanding. He can really shoot the puck. He's got a ton of offense. I think this is a guy you're hoping is whether he's going to be a PP one, PP two guy in the NHL. He'll be some sort of dynamic there with Miro Heiskanen, hopefully, where the, one of those two guys are running each of those, those two power play units. What's interesting is that the, the league knew that the Rangers were up against the wall here, not only because the player demanded a trade. He demanded a trade because there was nowhere to play him. You know, you look on the right side of that uh, blue line and, and all the young defensemen they had coming up. You know, again, you have obviously the, the, the veterans like, like Jacob Truba and Adam Fox, and you had Brandon Schneider played really well last year. And it seemed like Zach Jones had kind of passed him based on his play in the American League. Everyone in the league knew you, there was nowhere to play this guy. And we've kind of talked on this podcast for at least a year, maybe even longer, about how there was going to be an inevitable trade of one of these top New York Rangers blue line prospects. And like I said, like, like Chris said, sorry, uh, it is interesting that despite the league knowing the Rangers didn't really have much leverage that they still extracted what I would say is fair value for that prospect. It's interesting. It does make me wonder, like it typically, I think if a team's going to be able to manage to do that, it would maybe indicate that the, there was a real market. Like there right. wasn't just going to be a single bidder situation here. Um, so I think that's interesting. What I want to know though, is like with, with Lundqvist, uh, obviously everyone knows how good he was in the SHL. I think historically good for a player that young in the yes. SHL, yep. he comes over and it's only about a half point per game in the AHL. And that's yep. where for me, you were kind of one. Okay. I'm sure he's going to get that opportunity. Like you said, Corey in Dallas, and we figure he'll take one of John Klingberg, some of John Klingberg's power play time. But did that scare you at all off? I mean, I, I know where he's ranked for you, but like how concerned, I guess, should Dallas be about that? It is concerning, I think, because of the size. And again, he's not overly physical. He's a good, not amazing skater. There really is concerns about how good defending he's going to be in, in the NHL. Uh, the production in the American League wasn't great. Uh, that being said, like I said, there was Zach Jones down there in the American League, and it seemed like Jones passed Luckfist and got more opportunity down there. I, I would have to look up those numbers, but I believe he got more power play time. I, I could be wrong on that fact, but it is a concern for a guy who was offensively driven, who didn't put up big offensive numbers in the American League. It is a concern, but the body of work there with Lungfist is really, really strong. Not just to mention those SHL seasons. Like you go to back to that world championship he played in where he was outstanding at that level too. Uh, I, I think this is a really good player. And, and it does make me think, as you said, I think there was probably a, a good market for this player given the return they got. Because usually when you see a you know a young top prospect get get traded uh, at that age, especially if it's not for like a rental or something where it's a, 
a, a team trying to buy to go all in, something you know, young asset for a young asset, typically something happened along the way that made you think, oh, this team fell out of love with this player. But really, this was just a case of they had too many good young defense prospects that something had to give. I think they would have liked to keep Lundqvist, uh, but it just didn't work out. All right, let's get in from there. A uh, lot of lot of hockey happened over the last week, and and uh, fortunately, we we have some good representation here. Corey, you were at the Buffalo tournament. Chris, you were out in San Jose. I was in Traverse City. Uh, we can kind of start freely here, but I, I think we should leave with Buffalo. That's where the the number one overall pick and number two overall pick from this past draft class were. So, Corey, why don't you kick us off here? What stood out to you in Buffalo? Well, I think both of those players, the first overall pick being Uri Slavkovsky and the second overall pick being Simon Nemec with New Jersey, I thought both of them had strong events. Slavkovsky's second game was, was solid and amazing. His first game, though, I thought he was he was excellent. You saw him in that game, and, and it was evident why he was the first overall pick. A physically uh, dominating uh, winger who can really skate. He has great skill. He was you know, tr- you know showing good, good offensive creativity. The points didn't come for either of them, and in real significant numbers, but I think, you know, you saw the attributes that made him so desirable as prospects with Nemec was just so how good his hockey sense was, how smooth and efficient his puck movement is uh, while being a solid defender at the same time. Like I, I think those two guys uh, for, for me were the, were maybe not the best, most productive players of the tournament, but look like not surprisingly the best pro prospects uh, with the caveat that Jake Sanderson did play in the one game and obviously was, his usual very good self. Uh, probably for me, the, the the two other ones that really stood out for that tournament that made it where it most interesting was uh, one the continuing strong play of Yuri Kulich, who builds off his MVP performance of the U18s. Uh, he had a very good development camp in Buffalo. Then he goes to the World Juniors as an 04 and is among Czechia's best players there. And then he comes to this camp. And he and he looks good again, and just seems and it seems like he's going to start in Rochester in the American League, and I think this is a guy who could actually hold up in the American League as an eighteen-year-old and and help the Amerks win games. And finally, one of the most interesting things to me was the play of Owen Beck, the thirty-third pick in the most recent draft, and he was a guy who there was a lot of intriguing debate about him going into the draft. Uh, this was a guy who was rated pretty highly, both among. Know, people like myself who write about prospects, NHL Central scouting, etc. But he wasn't this like overly you know, physically imposing forward. He's 5'11", 6'0". I think he was under a point per game in the mm-hmm. OHL. I could be mistaken about that. But it wasn't like his offense was all that significant. No. So, so you know, it's like, okay, he's not that big. He's a good skater. I wouldn't call him a blazer. So I was like, what's so exciting about this player? And whenever you watched him, he looked like this really well-rounded two-way centerman competed well, showed good hockey sense, showed skill that maybe wasn't always translating into uh, his production to go with, you know, again, he has good feet. And I thought at this tournament, he just showed, hey, he, I'm a good pro prospect. I'm not saying he's going to be a second line center or even saying he's going to be a third line center in the NHL, but he looks like he's a good pro. He could be a good pro uh, with time. That is obviously not next season. What did you think of Beck when you watched him last season, Chris? You know, he he was always one of those guys where you could you could see flashes of 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 something, um, and it was always just kind of like you know he wasn't a player that I would always get overly excited about, but you'd see the tools like you know I thought he was pretty good at the top prospects game, like he was a guy that that kind of you know stood out among his peers where it was like you know he, he can play a little bit stronger. Um, I thought you know he had a decent two way value to him, um, but yeah, I mean you know he's he's one of those guys that. 
I had a hard time getting a read on last season. He was one of those guys where I also would have liked to have gotten some more live viewings of him. I watched him quite a bit on video. So I think the bulk of my viewings are off of video. And I just felt like, you know, I was always trying to 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 pit pin him down. Like, what is he going to be? Like, what exactly is he going to be? Is he a, is he a middle six guy? Is he, you know, does he have top six upside? Like those types of things that, that were harder to, for me to judge. But I, I mean, you know, the fact that he's performed well at this, at this rookie event, isn't necessarily a huge surprise because I think the foundation of his game is, is pretty strong and, and that he has a good, a good enough hockey sense to, to compete and, and a, and a good enough compete level where, you know, he's going to be able to hold his own against, you know, top guys. So, um, not surprised to hear he did well. And on the flip side, maybe some top guys who I thought would have better weeks. Uh, one would have been Justin Barron who got in two of the games, Ken Gooley got in one game from Montreal and played well. Uh, Barron played in two games and, and I thought he was fine. Like, he showed his good skating, made the occasional good play with the puck. But for a guy who had already played in some NHL games and a good, I thought I thought was a, a very good rookie pro season, I thought he would be more impactful. And sometimes guys who are better, you know, older players who are going to be part of the NHL mix, sometimes they sleepwalk through these things. But in general, I thought he would be better. Um, and one, and I guess. The other two first-rounders New Jersey had there with Alex Holtz and, and Nolan Foote, they were both solid, particularly Holtz got a couple of goals, one including an overtime winner, which was a, which was like a really nice snipe uh, from the circles, as he's prone to do. I wouldn't have said either of them really kind of drove the bus at even strength and, and made uh, – they made plays. They got their scoring chances, but I, I thought, particularly given how much pro, pro experience they had, particularly Holtz, how good he was in American last year, I thought he would could come in and dominate. I wouldn't say – he was good. I don't think he dominated like a guy who I thought is pushing to be, you know, a top six four, top nine forty in the NHL to start the year. Corey, one of the other guys you mentioned in, in the write up that we had on the Athletic was Shane Pinto, and you know he's an interesting one because you know we expect him to play uh, a meaningful role this year on the Senators. It sounds like he looked ready to do something like that. Yeah, he only got into the one game like Sanderson did, but in that one game, I thought he was very good. He was doing his thing where he was winning a lot of battles being effective down the middle, showing his skill and creating offensive chances. I think he got the one goal there too in that game. Uh, he did get dinged up in the middle of the game, which he didn't want to see because it's a guy who had already a lot of injury issues in, in, in the last few years. Uh, but he, he came back, looked like he was fine, looked like he could be ready for training camp. Um, and, and he was going to be Ottawa's second-line center before he got injured right at the beginning of the season last year. Um, so no surprise that this guy looks like a guy who's you know, a, a real good pro and I think he'll be a big factor in the Senators lineup this coming year. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When you're trying to grow a business, the caliber of person you bring in to help you do that is really important. And LinkedIn makes it really easy to interview the right people for the role, quality people. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. 
Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NHL show. That's linkedin.com slash NHL show to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's get back into it here with the Traverse City Tournament, uh, which I was at. Uh, five teams there, a little smaller crowd than than the typical Traverse City. Uh, but it was good because I got to see almost every game in, in totality there. Um, and the two, the, the team that stood out to me the most probably was Columbus. I'm no surprise. They have so many high picks on that team. Um, but I thought both Kent Johnson and Denton Matejchuk were, were really, really good. Matejchuk, I think might've been the guy who surprised me the most, um, you know, recent high pick, obviously. So you, you want him to be good, but so poised, so smooth. He had a ton of controlled exits and just really shift to shift might've been the most noticeable Columbus guy for me at, at the tournament. Um, I, I think you saw the mobility, the brain, uh, the stick, the, you know, it just the whole package I think looked really good. You felt like with him and David Juracek on a pair that you were watching uh, a, a top two NHL pair for, for many years to come probably. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I mean, I, I think Matejchuk was my number three defenseman in the last draft. Um, and so, you know, I, I just I really have a lot of time for the way that he plays. I think that he's a modern NHL defenseman with the ability to move the puck and 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 the skating ability. And so, you know, no surprise to hear that he's done well because he he just does have such confidence on the puck. Um, it's it's remarkable to watch him kind of take take his game to the next level. He can take over a shift or two, you know, when you need him to. He can make plays. Um, so yeah, that's that's great. And then I mean, Kent Johnson. You know he's he should be in close to you know midseason form the way that he played at the <laughs> at the World Juniors and um, you know just the skill level. I mean Columbus is has really um, built a nice little core uh, for their future with some of their draft picks here and um, you know it's it's based a lot on skill. I mean there's just a lot of skill players that they have guys that are going to be offensive performers and um, I'm, I'm I'm fascinated to see kind of where they go next. But I mean those are two guys that. You know, I think that they're going to be able to hang their hat on as time moves on. And, you know, Matejchuk still has, has, has time. You know, he doesn't have to be there next year. Um, so, you know, a lot of time. But I think, you know, Kent Johnson, it's like, hey, take a step and be a big part of this team next year. And I think he can do that. Kent Johnson's played so much hockey in the last year. So he has he the, really he, has. He, he had the, obviously, the his, his college season. Then he had the Olympics. He went to the World Championships, I believe. Yes. And he, when, then he came went back to the World Junior and, and now already it's, it's training camp time. First, yeah, first player in history to do all of those international tournaments in one year. I'm pretty sure that would add up. Obviously, unique circumstances in <laughs> yeah. in, in, in that regard. Um, Matejchuk one is interesting. Obviously, I, I had him rated really highly too. As he was, I believe, also my my third rated defenseman going in, going into the draft. Uh, but he was not a guy uh, who, among NHL people, I talked to going into and even after the draft thought was a guy who was going to go or should have gone in the top 15. Obviously, Columbus has agreed, and I do know some people who were who are big Matejchuk advocates. Uh, but I think there was a concern. Like, this is a 5'11 defenseman. He's he's pretty talented, great skater, has offense, but it's not he's not Quinn Hughes or something like that. Uh, so there was a concern. Like, hey, is this one going to work? And we'll see with time whether it does or not. Why in training camp 
determined does not determine whether it's going to work or not in the NHL. Uh, but he is, as Chris said, very fun to watch. Um, and I think because he's such an excellent skater, I think that he has a really good chance to make it work in the pro rank. So that pick in general will be very interesting to monitor over the coming years. Really quick on Johnson, one thing that, that did stand out to me, uh, I mean, he's obviously an extremely skilled player. He had brought a ton of offense. I think he either tied for or was right around the tournament scorers. Um, I did think it was a little interesting for how much men's hockey he's played. You know, I, I did think he still looked like he could be kind of out physical at, at several points in, you know, or especially early in St. against the St. Louis team that was probably the most physical in the tournament. I, I didn't think he was amazing in that game, um, partly because of that. And and yet he still comes out with, with three points. But it does make me wonder when we're talking about his NHL prospects, like how much is that something he's going to have to figure out? He does have a pretty wiry frame and like he has never been – uh, the most physical player, the most interior-minded uh, forward you're ever going to see. Um, so I could see those that first NHL stretch maybe being a little bit bumpy uh, for those reasons. I mean, he still has to make the team. Uh, but but even if he does make the team, I can see, again, he's not a blazing skater. He's not the most physical. So I mean, it's just that elite skill, and it, and it, will, it remains to be seen how quickly that's going to translate to the NHL. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that stood out to me, Sebastian Kosa from Detroit. Um, he's a guy who did not play well at this tournament last year. I didn't think he played all that well at development camp, although I, I had COVID, so I was watching on YouTube uh, for that for Detroit. But he was a guy who I thought, obviously, at the World Juniors, he's the backup. He was a guy who I thought needed a big tournament. And to me, he was the clear-cut best goalie at, at the event. Yeah. It, with with goalies, it's always difficult to you know read into – different stretches you know there's plenty of guys that'll have tough stretches and sometimes they're in these high profile small short-term events and sometimes it's at the world juniors or, or wherever it might be but i think in kosa's case it's just about you know kind of building himself back up a little bit he didn't you know he didn't necessarily have the amazing season but he was a top he was a goaltender on a great team last year and and i think that you know there was a reason that he wasn't the starter for Canada at the World Juniors. You know, there was a there's still development ahead, and so even though you draft a guy in the first round, the timeline doesn't really change for a lot of goalies. There, you know, there aren't a ton of guys that are going to be able to come in as quickly as you might like. But he doesn't have to, and in, in, in Detroit, obviously, with with the goaltenders that they have, so that's good. Um, but yeah, I agree, Max. I think having a, a chance to build confidence going into NHL training camp is going to be huge for him, especially since he didn't have a great time last year. You know, being able to bring that back getting a chance to be around NHL players, seeing kind of where he stacks up and, and finding out, you know, what the next steps are going to be for him. He's got a long, he's still got a lot of development ahead of him. He's, he's, he's a big guy. He's quick. He's got to refine a little bit, you know, he can get a little wild back there. So um, those are the things that we'll have to wait and see, but I mean, I'm excited to see, you know, when, when the Red Wings have their hands on him, you know, the opportunity to work with them as closely as they're going to be working with him, you know, what that does for his game ultimately. But I mean, great, great to hear, you know, for a guy like him, I'm sure Red Wings fans are pumped that, you know, their first round goalie was able to, uh, to have a good performance against his peers. And he, well, he didn't have a great season, I would say a quite underwhelming season given where he was drafted. Uh, he did have a very strong postseason, I, I thought. True, uh, true. For, for, the, for the Oil Kings. And and you mentioned getting their hands on him. I think that's really one of the big debates with Kosa right now yes. is when do the Red Wings get their hands on him? And I my personal lean is turn him pro next season and put him in the American League. 
But I know in my discussions with Max that that is by no means a sure thing right now. Yeah, I mean, they they have two goalies in Victor Bradstrom and, and Okanora, uh, who they just signed. They can go with those two pretty easily. In fact, that like Bradstrom, I thought, was pretty good down the stretch, even in Grand Rapids. And so uh, are you going to go three? Or are you going to send one of those guys to the coast? You know, coast is your future. So I, I understand yeah. if you do that, you do it. Um, but I do think he has to keep this up a little bit to make that make them, you know, inclined to, to do that with, with one of those two guys. Yeah, I think if he has a good rest of his camp, I think you have to put him in the American League. And even if you have two other guys down there you like, you make it work, whether that's making one of those guys kind of go away or you're sharing the ice time or yeah. something like that. I mean, at the end of the day, Kosa is so much more valuable than those two in all likelihood going forward that you will have to find a way to make it work. But kind of what we've been talking about it's no guarantee that he will be in there so we'll be curious to see how his camp goes yeah i think i think for him he needs to show that he can he's ready to be to be able to handle 25 to 30 ahl games or so something in that range if he is then you you figure the rest out but if you think he's going to be your three then i think you you prize the reps um two more guys at traverse city that i just wanted to touch on really quick christian kairu from dallas uh honestly pretty similar to matechuk in in what the profile was that he brought smarts mobility uh, I, I thought he really handled himself super well for a first-year player at, at a tournament with a lot of 20-year-olds. Uh, and then Zach Bolduc, I, I just thought the offense stood out to me, uh, created chances, finished chances, had a good setup, and, and showed a little bit of physicality. Liked him better on the wing than at center. Um, but those are the other two guys who I think kind of made my uh, made my standouts list. At, and Logan Stankovan probably could have been on there too. You always see the motor and the speed from him. Uh, but I thought those were the other guys who kind of stood out in TC. Kairu is an interesting one. I, I don't think the skating is at the same level as Matejchuk, although I do think it's, it's it's good enough. I think his ba- his main assets is his brain and the amount of plays he can make. He's a, he's an offensive threat with his vision and his shot. And Kairu is a guy I highlighted as well uh, as a standout from Canada's uh, World Junior Camp in in the summer. So that's you know a, a good trend line there for a guy who did trend up uh, during his draft season. And uh, you know, if he keeps up this this kind of strong play, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see him be in a world junior mix for for Canada this upcoming December. I, I would I don't have him on my projected roster when we did that a couple of weeks ago, but you know we'll see what happens over over the first half of the season. But I think this is a guy who's uh, played his way into that mix. It's interesting you mentioned that part about both Dukes. I know when we talked to Jeremy Rutherford, I know they've discussed even though he's been a winger almost his entire junior career, there's been this discussion about trying him at center. Um, and it's interesting to hear that you know, it didn't maybe go as successfully as maybe they had hoped in well, only a couple of games, mind you. But I, I thought Bolduc looked really impressive this past year in Quebec on the wing. Yeah, I mean, they, they they played him really the first game, I believe, at center. And I didn't really – I mean, it was hard to notice anyone from St. Louis in that game, frankly. They lost 7-1. to one. Um, <laughs> But I didn't really notice him much. And then the, the next two games he was on the wing, and I felt like I noticed him a lot. And that to me, that's kind of a 2-plus-2 two two situation. So um, that's where I, I come out of it landing. Chris, you were in San Jose, um, and I want to take us there now. You would hope, I think, if you're a San Jose fan, that this was the William Eklund show. Did it pan out that way? You know, it certainly did in the first game. You know, three points, a, a, a th- an overtime game winner where he pulled off. You know, just a, a, a like a vintage Dennis Savard era hmm. on the backhand spinorama. It was great. Uh, he turned. You know, Olin Zellweger is the defenseman that he turned around a bit there. He basically saw his skates going one way. He's like, "Well, I'm going to take him this way," and then he ended up finishing on the rebound. And um, you know, I think that Eklund looks. Uh, 
stronger this year than he did. I didn't like him. His I was at the the rookie faceoff last year in Arizona as well. I thought that he was only okay there. Um, he had moments. This time it was much more consistent. He was driving play. He was making plays. Um, he was playing with speed, and he's a guy that looks like an NHL player um, more than he did last year. And so, you know, he didn't have a great season in Sweden last year in terms of goal scoring. He said, I'm I'm focused more on taking the puck to the net. I'm focused more on, on creating more chances. I don't just want to be a pass-first guy. The shot looks really good. That's actually something John McCarthy, the, the head coach of the San Jose Barracuda, who was in development for the Sharks last year, he said his shot is is greatly improved. Um, and he did. He scored on an, uh, uh, an absolute rifle shot uh, on the power play on the first game. Second game didn't get as many points, but he was active. He was all over the place. He was able to, to make plays. He was difficult to defend. Um, and he was, you know, showing some two-way value as well. He was really, you know, disrupting plays through the neutral zone. So um, I, I think that that was, was huge for him. Um, he was, you know, and, and he, Thomas Bordalo had a really nice, nice event as well. Um, based on the things that they were, that the Sharks were kind of saying while we were there is I think they're there. It's more likely than not, he's going to start in the AHL this year. Um, and, and be kind of, they, they want him to get a little bit more comfortable working on the interior. They don't want him to just be on the perimeter, which he is really good at and, and, and picking spots. So they want to get him a little bit more inside, but those two guys were, I thought heads above pretty much every other prospect that the Sharks had um, there. And and they should be there. That's what they're, they're kind of, that's where, where they were drafted and, and obviously where they've been, their development has gone. Um, you know, and, and there was one guy that I thought really needed that I, I particularly wanted to see where, what he was going to do in this event. And that's Brent Clark uh, from the Kings did not make Canada's world junior team. Um, you know, they, they didn't, uh, even when they had injuries, he wasn't the first call up, um, you know, so he had a really good tournament. It was, and he did all the things that he does particularly well. I mean, the skating still needs to improve and the strength still needs to improve. Um, he, he, he can still make the, the, the bad play every now and again, that, that hurts your team, but he makes so many positive plays with the puck and a stick. He was getting pucks through the neutral zone. A lot of, he was the shots on goal leader for the Kings through their first two games. Um, he had four assists, three of them primaries. Um, you know, so he's a weapon on the power play. That's what, that's the kind of event he needed to have. I don't think he's NHL ready. Um, you know, I think he still needs time, but I do think that that was a really positive step to say, okay, because there were, there were games last year. He put up a lot of points last year, but there were games last year where I was like, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know if his, if it's going to work out like, you know, where he's going to be a top four guy. Um, you know, and, and in a prospect event, you have to take everything with a grain of salt just because it's a short thing. But I really like the way that he played. And on the, on the topic of Brian Clark, um, I wasn't there or I didn't, I didn't watch any of, of those games, but I did get a text from a, from a uh, scout friend who was at that camp. And he said to me that he thought that Clark was his usual excellent self offensively, uh, but he still had concerns about his play and his defensive zone. What did you observe about that uh, from when you were there at that camp? You know, it was, it is, it remains an issue. I mean, he, he actually, in the last play of the game got blown up. Uh, it was a, it was a bad hit. Um, he right. was engaged with another player, but he was losing the puck battle and then got absolutely leveled. Um, and I still can't believe they, they brought him back and let him play the rest of that game, which he did. And then he scored the shootout winner. He played half the overtime. Um, but the other thing that I thought was, yes, the, the positioning, the awareness, the strength on on the opponent; those are all things that still need to improve. Um, you know, I've always thought that. You know, we've talked about his skating a lot. I've always thought that. You know, he 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 needs to get better at defending the rush. No question about it. Um, 
that's going to be a, you know, he can get turned around real easily. Um, but the one thing I will say is that more times than not, when he was on the ice, LA had the puck a lot more. Um, and, and he was, he was good at getting pucks out of the zone. He was good at getting pucks through the neutral zone and he was really good at distributing in the offensive zone. So I, I would agree with that statement that there is definitely work to be done. He also made a really bad error at the offensive blue line that led to a sustained pressure. And then there was an icing and then the, the, uh, I'm trying to think of which team they, they ended up playing, um, might've been the sharks where they, they, they ended up scoring two goals immediately, um, after this, this, this mistake. And so those are the types of things that can hurt you. But, um, but he's an interesting prospect. He's a really interesting prospect. And he is a guy that, that has to focus on the elements that he's not as good at in order to be an effective NHL player. Right. And, and like you, I, I do think he's going to be a top four defenseman in the NHL. Uh, I just was curious for your thoughts on, on, on that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. To me, that rush bit, it may be the key here then, right? Because it, you can find ways to shelter offensive defensemen in the NHL, give them lots of offensive zone starts, all that. But at some point, and especially if you're making, you know, the occasional offensive blue line turnover, um, you still got to be able to, to stop it when it's coming back the other way. You can, the right. coach can get you out of there for D zone draws and all that stuff. But when, when the guy's coming at you, like, can you just make that stop? And that, I think that's always been where the skating was the most concerning is going backward against speed, right? <laughs> yes. Like that's the key. Yeah, absolutely. And and the one other thing too is like, you know, he gets up in the play a lot. He doesn't have the speed to recover. Yeah. So that's the other that's the other thing that was really evident when he would get down deep in the zone and then there was a transition, he was one of the last guys back only because he was skating hard. He wasn't he wasn't he wasn't dogging it. Um but yeah, but I did I did want to uh, also just quickly shout out two defensemen um from this tournament because uh, Vegas doesn't have a lot of prospects. They don't have a lot of, of, of high end guys, but I thought Caden Korzak and Leighton Ahak played incredible in the two games that I saw live. Um, they're, they're big, they're physical. Caden Korzak is, is actually quite mean. I watched a game from ice level and was able to see the way that he defends. Um, uh, the mobility looked good. The passing was good. Ahak's offensive capabilities looked really good as well. Um, those were two guys where you'd say, okay, well, if, you know, Given the cap issues in Vegas, Korzak looks close. He looks yeah, close like he can make that step. Yeah, I think he'll play games this season. Yeah, yeah. And and I think Ahak is a little bit further along than I expected him to be at this point as well. So those are two guys that I think if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan, those are two guys you gotta be, you know, positive about because I think they're gonna they're gonna help their team in the near future. Uh how about some of our Southern California teams, Chris? Uh, Anaheim or, or LA? Yeah, well, you know, Anaheim was interesting. They had Mason McTavish, and I think there was a there was an assumption that he would just do what he did at the World Juniors and take over games and completely dominate. That didn't really happen, actually. You know, I thought he played really well. He was super noticeable throughout, but he I, I don't think that he did anything that stood out above and beyond what you would normally expect from a, from a Mason McTavish game. The skating looks good. The skill level looks good. I'd say that you know he is really taking you know he he's taken steps this year you can see that he's ready he looks like an NHL player um but that's one guy where i thought you know hey i i was kind of expecting a little more and the other thing too that i'm going to be interested to see is he has this emotional amazing experience at the world juniors where he's dominant and it's just like you know how do you come off you know how do you even come off of that to play in a rookie tournament on a you know on a community rink in in in, in San Jose you know like that's you know, they, they played one of their games on the community rink and one of the games on the big rink. And 
Um, you know, it was it was interesting to kind of watch him in that environment. But um, you know, but I, I also thought the Ducks had some other you know standout guys. Um, you know, I, I really like the way that Braden Tracy played. He's a guy that needs to take a step. Right. Um, you know, he he looked pretty solid at that tournament. I liked him a lot there. Um, you know, Pavel Mintukov is another guy too, where he had flashes of brilliance. Um, with his offensive capabilities, and you know, still looks like he's a bit of ways away uh, to, from being a pro. Uh, but but still, he 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 showed well. And then also the Kings, the Kings. Unfortunately, Alex Turcott was not available for this tournament. That's a problem, you know, for the sh- for the Kings. It's been sure. an ongoing problem with their number former number five pick. However, I will say I really like Quentin Byfield. He played in just the first game that I saw. Um, I thought that he looked quick. He looked physically dominant. Um, he was getting to the net better. Um, and and that's, you know, he was showing the things. He looked like an NHL player playing against prospects. Um, there's still more for him to unlock in his game. But he does look like a guy that's that's ready to take a step because, you know, the Kings don't can't really afford for him to continue developing. They just kind of need him to be ready. Um, and he's close. And it, it, he'll continue to develop at the NHL level. But he's I think he's closer than he was last season. Anyone from the two tournaments that you guys were at that you were hoping for more from? Well, I think you probably could even say Simon Edvinson in a try. I thought he was good, um, but I think he's a guy who you're looking at going into training camp here. Is he going to make the NHL roster? If he was going to be that guy, I think you probably wanted to see him just straight up dominate this event. And I think there were moments where he looked like he was – uh, I mean, he was obviously really good. He could spin off pressure and he could take it coast to coast. But there were some plays where he looked a little casual. And I think uh, for a player who could very well be in the opening night lineup, I think you would have wanted to see a little more there. Um, I think you could also say I, I personally left feeling like I wanted to see a little more out of Kirill Marchenko, um, who did have three goals. And I think you saw that, uh, you know, the power in his game. But for an older player at this event who's played in the KHL, I, I wanted to see him flat out dominate. Sure. And so, you know, these are both players who who are good and who are really good prospects, but I think you wanted to maybe see him take over a little more, I guess. Right. And, and you can, you know, kind of almost see like kind of a narrative with both of them. You have Marchenko who played in the KHL, but not stick in the KHL last season. And with Edvinson, that kind of, what you're kind of telling me follows a theme we kind of saw at the Summer World Junior. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I think I, I would just like to see Simon just get harder to play against, just be a harder individual he has the size he has physicality i just want to see and him. i've seen him hit guys and like crush guys yeah yeah me too and it's just like but i've also seen him get knocked off the puck too easily and i've seen that those are the things that give me a little bit more concern but i like the player i think he's going to be an exceptional player but there i think most of the things that he needs to do it's it's more between the ears and just a mentality that he needs um but as far as guys in San Jose, there weren't a ton of guys where I was like, you know, super underwhelmed by. I think Ivan Morozov, uh, similar into the Kirill Marchenko, well, he he wasn't really noticeable. He was the top line center for for Vegas in two games, and I was constantly looking for him. I was having, I had to find him in order to watch him. Um, he doesn't really pop off the, uh, you know, and and then so that was that was probably one of the guys where I was like, mm. you know, and I think as I mentioned, McTavish, I, I wanted it, I expected a little more from him, but I also think that he he doesn't have a lot to prove in an event like that. So that was another thing where it was kind of kind of just off uh, off there. And then um, How Ozzy. Uh, Ozzy Weisblatt was actually uh, pretty good, or Weisblatt. He was he was pretty good. Um, not like NHL good, but he was like a guy that was causing disruption. He made a couple of skill plays. The speed looked okay. Um, you know, he was an agitator. 
Uh, and I think evol- I think he's going to evolve into more of that middle six kind of energetic uh, guy. He's not a big guy, so it's hard to play that kind of role. I, but I think I think the Sharks would gladly take that after how his last WHL. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. But I think he plays angry. You know, he plays angry, and I like that about him. Um, and he does still have skill. So yeah, but those are those are some of the guys. Absolutely, I think that uh, you know that that. Uh, we're, we're fine. I, and Connor Geeky was probably the only other one where I was just like, you know, I'm he's still so young and he's not I just don't think he should be part of I don't think he is part of the plans for, for Arizona this year, um, you know, but he's he's a guy where you're like, you see the size. He just needs to the, the pace needs to come a bit more. It was a little more evident here. Did you, did you see Genther at all? I did. He did play one game um, and it was his first game back. He was he was coming off of an illness and then obviously, you know, was injured in the playoffs last year. I thought that he looked like he like he usually does. Um, he wasn't necessarily driving play, but he was making plays and he was getting a couple of uh, chances. I thought his, his decision making was really on point. He was good with the pace. Um, and when he had the puck on his stick, he was usually making positive plays with it. You know who's one other guy from Traverse City that I really wanted to see a lot more of who actually, you know, probably would be my biggest disappointment was Nick Robertson in in Toronto. Mm. This is a guy who's been at this tournament before. He's actually, you know, like you see in flashes, like the motor, the speed, whatever, but he had one goal at this event and I did not notice him nearly as much as I felt like I should have for, for a guy who's, you know, been at this tournament so much before. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, I I'm a huge. I've always been a huge Nick Robertson supporter, and 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 I've liked his game. But I agree. I think that we're starting to get to that point now where it's like, hey, it, it, it's go time. You know, it's got you got to It's time to 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 put it together and to be be a guy. And you know, his his skating is never going to be amazing. His his you know he he needs to get into the spaces to get the shots. He's going to need to play with somebody that can get him the puck. He's not going to really drive play. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, that it's tough and I, I'd be interested to see kind of what happened, what happens with him down the line, you know, how, how, how much longer can Toronto wait? Um, uh, and he's still, you know, he's still not that old, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we need to see that, that next step because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, just really quick on the Penticton tournament. Uh, we're not gonna probably have time to talk about it today. Uh, but Thomas Drance was there for us you can read about it on the athletic we got an article with with uh, tournament standouts from around the league just the guys he he highlighted were Danilo Klimovich, uh, Cole Perfetti, Connor Zary, uh, Dylan Holloway um, so go check that out for his updates and we'll be right back with our mailbag looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 u.s-based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. 
is as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, mailbag time. Uh, starting off with one from Mike L., who says, Did the Red Wings amass enough potential star power in their tank years to build a legitimate cup contender before attempting to turn the corner this offseason? Corey, let's start with you. Uh, it's, you know, my initial thought is probably have enough. But it's probably on the periphery, right? I mean, Max, you cover this team uh, daily, so you, you would probably know better than me. But it seems it seems like they have enough, particularly given the very positive developments of Moritz Sider and, and Lucas Raymond, coupled with the so-so development of Michael Rasmussen and Philip Zadina. Uh, but the, 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 the big question is, who's the center of the future? You know, is, is it going to be Marco Casper? And I think it very well could be, uh, obviously. Having a very promising start from his Champions League play in early and his his first weekend of his SHL play, but but a long way to go before we figure out whether he is going to be the answer behind Dylan Larkin long term, uh, and so that for me is the one question there with the rebuild as they have I think added you know very good amount of talent this off season and look like I think they are going to be a team on the rise is is how does their situation down the middle bode long term and could they have used one more guy like that. You know, I was having this exact conversation with a, with a scout at the Traverse City tournament, and we were kind of talking about, you know, there are teams who go three, four, five years and don't find a Lucas Raymond, a Moritz Sider, a Simon Edvinson, uh, all three of them, I should say, you know, in, in their bottom out. And so, uh, you know, you can question like, you know, is I, I and I do question, is Marco Casper going to be like that that real legit top line, top six guy? Um, I am leaning yes. But we'll see. I think that's fair to question. But I, I do think what you really got to make sure you get in your bottom out is a few true top of the lineup guys. And I think they got that in Insider Raymond and, and Edvinson. And so I think to me, the answer is yes. They're still going to pick probably in the teens uh, between 10 and 20 for the next few years. And I think you just keep taking swings and trying to find, you know, now forwards. I think D, you're, you're pretty close to set. I think that's the, I think they pretty much did. Right. And, and they did this again as we've, said many times without ever getting the true high high yes lottery pick which would which is a you know an unusual thing to do in a rebuild usually every once in a while someone would luck into a top three or a second or even a first overall pick uh, when they do bottom out uh, so it'll be curious to see if the lack of that turns into a successful uh, NHL team down the line all right, uh, Nathan A. says the Bruins are going to have a massive shift coming up with their aging core on the edge of retirement, with their prospect pool looking not hot. What changes can or should they make, or does it all just come down to the draft? Chris, let's go to you here. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you, you, you always feel like you can compete when you have your your Brad Marchands and, and Patrice Bergerons, and, and that's – so you're kind of in a, in a weird status right now where you're trying to figure out what you're going to be. Um, and unfortunately for the Bruins, it is going to come down to patience drafting, you know, when, when it's time to break things up, you know, but you, you have your, you have some of your core pieces. You have Charlie McAvoy, you know, we'll see if Jeremy Swayman is going to be the true goalie of the future there. Um, so you've got still that starter pack for the next wave. Um, it just, there's just not 
that next that that second tier for them is really below average for for where where it needs to be relative to the rest of their division. And that's going to be the thing that I think kind of uh, is is harder to develop and build. And and if you trade away picks and if you trade away prospects, it it only makes it harder and it takes longer on the back end. And I think you know you, we'll start looking at a team like Chicago that's kind of they had they had to just jettison so much of their their championship core. You know they're still in a long term situation here. I think whenever this does end for the Bruins, it's going to be a while. Um, but it it doesn't have to be for it doesn't have to be super long. So we'll just have to wait and see when they're ready to kind of move on. But I think they're still kind of in that we can compete mode. And I think the biggest variable with them, because I think obviously that I still think they're a contender. They have a, they have an excellent hockey team, and I think Jeremy Swayman can continue to get better. Is what happens with David Pasternak? If if they keep him, then you're you probably still stay in this vague territory like where Pittsburgh and Washington is, where you just keep going till the good times end. But if they can't keep Pasternak, then those are some really hard questions to ask. Adam P. says the Devils seem to have a number of players who have come up through the AHL team and are now pushing for roster spots, including Fabian Zetterland, Tice Thompson, Nolan Foote, Graham Clark, Riley Walsh, Kevin Ball, and Nikita Okutuk. Uh, which of these prospects do you think are ready for the big club, and what's the best path for development for those who don't make the team? Corey, any of the guys on those lists would you like uh, with a real shot to make the Devils this year? Well, Zetterland, and I, I think, is in waivers territory right now. I'm not... Sure, he's a guy who helps your team win every night in the National Hockey League because he's not the best skater. Uh, but he's a guy they're going to have to make a decision on uh, during this camp process. And if he has a good camp, he could force their hand as you know because he is skilled, he's intelligent, he can score goals. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's stuck. But that's going to be a decision they're going to have to make. Uh, I think Kevin Ball is probably close. He did play some games last year, and it wouldn't surprise me if he. If he if he does get into the lineup in a significant way at some point this season, and as well, I think Foot probably still needs a little bit more American League time, uh, but he was still a really young player in the American League last year as a, as a late birth date, uh, playing on a loaded team. I could see him having a very good second American League season, and whether in the second half of the year or the following year, becoming a full time guy. Yeah, I would agree with Corey on that, and then you know. Riley Walsh is the real wild card of the group, um, you know, in terms of what can he be? He's kind of like the stopgap. You're going to have your Luke Hughes and your Simon Nemich soon. So what what ultimately is going to be his value to the team in the next couple of years? It's not going to be that high, but it, it, he could be kind of that, you know, that guy that you, you get a look at um, as soon as this year. But, you know, I think he's probably a guy that's destined for some significant AHL time as well. Yeah, I don't think he's an NHL player. Not with his, not with his feet. Um, I just don't think he'll be able to defend well enough. Even though he has really good offense, and you look at the right side there, you're going to have Nemitz, you're going to have Dougie Hamilton, John Marino. There's just, there's just nowhere for him to play long term. Good one from Thomas A here. Do the Kings continue their growth this season, or was last year a fluke? And how key is Cal Peterson to that question? <laughs> Obviously, in goal, that's pretty key. But what do you think for the Kings? I mean, they they go out, they get Kevin Fiala, they take another step, or is it kind of more? A little regression or a little more of the same? I feel like it's going to be kind of more of the same. Um, I think they can contend for for the continue to contend for the playoffs. I think they, they have a good shot at making the playoffs out of the Pacific. 
Um, you know, I think there's enough, there's enough there um, for them to continue. You have to expect a step from guys like Sean Dersey from Quinton Byfield, um, you know, for, and you might get some guys that kind of filter into the lineup uh, a little bit more. I think I really like the depth that the Kings have. I think they have some, you know, guys like Alex Iafalo and Blake Lazad are so underappreciated um, for, for what they do and what they mean to that roster. And then you still have your core players. You know, the health of Drew Doughty is going to be a big factor in this question as well. But I think the Cal Peterson question is a super important one because last year we were expecting to see him be the guy. It it didn't work out that way. You know, it, Jonathan Quick is not going to give up his net that easily. Um, and Cal Peterson has to force the Kings into that decision. Um, and, and so he didn't do that yet. I still am a big believer in Cal Peterson. I think he's a good goalie. He's a you know the pride of Waterloo, Iowa. So I'm always gonna gonna be a fan of of, of his and expect him to do well. But uh, my wife's from Waterloo, that's why I say that. But um, but you know I think that he is a guy that that you know he is he is a huge key to them taking the next step because I don't think that the, the next tier beneath him in terms of goalies there there isn't a next guy for me with, with the Kings. The Kings, if I'm not mistaken, had like an absurd record in one goal games last season. And that would be something that if you're projecting for the upcoming season would, would give you pause. But I think that could be counterbalanced by the fact that they have so many really good young players coming up. You know, you expect Byfield to take a step. You can you expect Arthur Cowley to take a, take a step. You hope Tobias Bjornford kind of bounces back a little bit from how his season ended last year. Jordan Spence was really good last year. Sean Dersey obviously has had been has been really promising with his development, and there's others that were probably not mentioned too. The many that they have in on in the Ontario reign. Uh, so you're hoping there will be some progression for those guys, maybe counterbalance, maybe that regression from the one goal game scores. And I would kind of agree with Chris. I think they're probably a bubble playoff team. Chris Weininger says of the Calder finalists from last team, which do you think has the biggest sophomore slump? So this is finalists. I think he's just talking here about Cider, Zegris, and Michael Bunting. Any of those guys jump out to you, Corey? I feel like the obvious one there, you know, the low-hanging fruit is Bunting. Yeah. And it's no disrespect to Michael. I think he's a very intelligent, skilled hockey player. He works his bag off. He's, you know, he's he came from being a guy who looked like he was going to be on track to be a career American leaguer and has turned himself into a legitimate NHL player uh, just just because of his skating and uh, and obviously his 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 usage there, where he was on the line with Matthews and Marner, uh, that seems like the one where that's probably a little bit devoid of reality. But he's might play with those guys again this season all year. You know, we'll we'll see how his year goes. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me him for him to still put up good numbers, but that one seems the kind of the, the obvious one to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to I'd have to agree. I just think that Zegers and Cider took a step last year and have more steps to take. I think, I don't think they're done getting better. And I, I, I not to say that bunting is plateaued, but I, I just think that of those three, you know, you look at the, the, the youth of the, that's on the side of the other two players. And also the fact that they're going to be so relied upon in, in these key roles and, and are, you know, essentially the new faces of their franchises. Yeah. I mean, as someone who is the exact age of Michael Bunting, I think I can say I'm not getting too much better at hockey anymore than where I am. So I, I don't think it's crazy to think that he's already in his prime here. I don't think we're we're doing him dirty at all if we say that. Um, the one thing I'm curious about, you know, Anaheim, I think everyone does know. Yeah, they Obviously, they get John Klingberg. That's going to help. But they do lose some real talent and some veteran talent there. And environmentally, um, maybe that makes things a little trickier on Zegras, but I think he keeps getting better. It's just a question of how much does that team context maybe affect what the public perception 
of his season might be. Right. I mean, Raquel Lindholm go out, but Klingberg comes in. Mason McTavish will probably be a full-time guy next year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it'll all be a wash. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one is from Derek Lee, who says, who's your top Calder candidate heading into this season? Uh, and he says, why is it Jake Sanderson? I guess, first of all, Chris, is it Jake Sanderson? And if not, who is it? Oh, man, I, I would love for it to be Jake Sanderson. I I I I think he's got a shot for sure. Um, It's just... He's going to play really well. He's absolutely in the mix. Um, I just think that it's 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 you know, although Moritz Sider showed that it's not necessarily hard. I don't think that that Jake's going to have the points that that you need as a as a rookie defenseman to kind of get those votes. Um, I do think he's going to play a huge role for 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 Ottawa. But beyond him, I think you know the to me the guy that you know I, I don't think it's going to be a first year player. You know, it's not a guy that's draft plus one typically. Um, you know, so I'm looking, I think it's Mason McTavish. I think that he's got the guy in terms of his physical preparedness, the way that he played at the world juniors, even though he didn't have a great production at the rookie faceoff that I was at, he's a guy that just strikes me as, as, as ready, um, to, to make a, a significant impact. I think, it, as you mentioned, environmentally, it might not actually be that great for him, but if, if he kind of rises above that, I think that speaks to voters. So, I mean, it's him. And then I, it, I've really debated a lot. I, I have, you know, I, I think about power. I think about Beneers as well. Um, you know, and if McTavish ends up winning the Calder, it doesn't, it's not a, a knock on either Beneers or, or power who went ahead of him in the draft. It's just that I think that where he's at and what he can do right now, he's got a chance to put up some big numbers this year. I mean, as usual, Chris chooses the Canadian and discriminates against the American players. <laughs> um, but I, I would, my choice would be Beneers as, as the caller favorite. I think he's going to have a lot of opportunity in Seattle to play a big role. I think he looks already really good in the NHL late last season and playing at the Olympics versus men. Um, yeah, I think it would, like McTavish would be in the mix there. Owen Power would be in the mix. Uh, for me there, but I, my lean would be towards Veneers as the favorite. And interesting, you mentioned the power play time there, uh, Chris, because yeah, in the Sanderson's case, you know, it's going to be tough to get the offense. You know, Sider did that, but he was the power play one guy. That right. wasn't a given, I don't think, coming into the year, mind you, that he was going to be that. And Max could attest to that, but he ended up being that, getting that kind of opportunity. I don't see Jake Sanderson taking Thomas Shabbat's power play no. time exactly. Away from him. So yeah, you know, he might kind of be in that. That was kind of what Charlie McAvoy's situation was in his rookie year, right? Like he was really good, but he didn't get the power play time. So right. it was, he wasn't going to get the Calder votes. And right. we would think that similarly about Owen Power with, with Rasmus Dahlin, right? So yep. that, that's an obstacle yep. for both of them. I'm going to echo Corey and say Beneers. I, I just think, you know, especially just what he showed in that call up at the end of last season. Uh, I don't know if we're going to expect him to put up 0.9 points per game this year, uh, but but he's still going to be, I think, a really good player. And he, he's my favorite going in. Uh, next question is from Gary Graves. This will call back to to Chris uh, from from the prospect tournament segment. What are your thoughts on Eklund sticking with the Sharks this year? You want to start us off? Yeah, I mean he's he is committed to staying in North America no matter what. So he'll go to the AHL if they send him there. I don't think they're going to have to have to do that. I think that he he showed at the beginning of the NHL season last year that he wasn't far away, but he wasn't quite ready. I had no problem with them sending him back to Sweden. What did happen is that the season didn't go really well for Drew Gardens, and and it was it was tough for him. Um, that you know he had one goal, it just it, it wasn't great. Um, but I think that with his speed, with his 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 skill, his hockey sense, all those things, like he is an incredibly intelligent player with high end vision. Um, he's good. I think he's going to thrive playing alongside better players and he will have 
he, I think they're going to put him in a position to succeed with San Jose this year. And that will be playing with guys that, that he can benefit from and he'll, who he can help make better as well. And I'm talking about some of their veteran guys, you know, guys that have, that, that can produce. So I think he's ready, but he is committed. No, no matter what, he's going to stay here. He's not going back to Sweden. Chuck says, uh, do you really forecast the Blackhawks rebuild being a 10 year project? Corey, let's start with you there. Yeah, I think that question is directed towards me. I don't know when I said that, but I believe I've said that before. And I might have, I don't think, I'm not, don't think I was exaggerating, but I don't remember the exact context I said that in. And that, you know, I looked at the Blackhawks situation and I think most people think, oh, rebuilds take five years. But you look at this situation, I, looked, I thought the same thing with Arizona, although I think different markets, so different ways you can acquire talent. Uh, but I think Chicago is in for a lot of pain. I, I you know, I think a great analogy, Max, is is the team you cover. Yeah. Uh, you know, how long has this Red Wings rebuild been going on? How long are they going to go in between playoff appearances? It's been seven years, I think, so far. Yep. And realistically, they're not a playoff team this season. I'm sure. We, I think the hope is they take meaningful steps towards the playoffs, but I think realistically they're not. So let's let's say conservatively. It'll be one to three years, three more seasons, I would say, before they're a playoff team again. And it that, could that be a little sooner, but you're right. Like it's, That's certainly on the table. Right. So you're looking at maybe probably eight to ten year process there for them to become a playoff team again. Now, different variables can change the equation. If you don't – if, let's say, Michael Rasmussen would have been Elias Pettersson, that could have changed the equation. That was never an option, but that's just – uh, making the analogy there. Things, you know, you miss on draft picks, you get a more cider that instead of, I don't know, Philip Robert, that, that changes things. It's, it's, it's not a perfect science, but it, it, it takes a long time to rebuild a team, not just into a playoff team, but into a contender. It's a lot of things need to go right. Uh, and I think you even look back to the last Chicago rebuild. You look at, yes, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and, and Duncan Keith and, Brent Seabrook, those were amazing draft picks. Uh, but there was Jack Skilly in there. There, there was Cam Barker in there. Uh, so you, it, these things can take a very long time uh, to really build a true contender again. I should clarify, this, this coming year would be seven for, for, yeah. for Detroit. But um, to your point, like, you know, the Detroit's that, that process starts only two, those first two years is when they still have even Zetterberg. And so Chicago still having Kane and Taves, like may, maybe you're counting the last couple years as the start of this process for Chicago, still having Kane and, and Taves, but they haven't sure. even fully torn it down yet. And I think that's maybe the part that, that drags this out the longest. I think what helps is if you do get a big haul, if you trade Patrick Kane and you get a great haul, that's what helps the most. Um, but you know, they're still in the really early days of what's going to be, I think a long process. Yeah. Like I would have thought the beginning when they made the Kirby doc pick, that would have been the start yes. of it. Uh, but obviously a lot of interesting things have happened since then. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on here. We got a good one from Logan Horn who says, since there's been a defenseman drafted in the top five of every NHL draft since 2003, will this year break that trend with the likes of Bedard, Mitchkov, Fantilli, Jaeger, Benson, Carlson, et cetera. Uh, or will someone like Alan Guyayev or another D crack the top five? Chris. <laughs> well, I, it's certainly possible that this year breaks. I mean, there's, is a really good forward core. I think the real variable is what is going to happen with Mitchkov 
what, what, how, where does he end up going? Is it still in the top five? I think it very well could and should be. Um, but, you know, we still got a lot of time to figure that out. That's kind of the variable here. Um, you know, I think at, at this point, and Corey may, may disagree, but I think at this point, Cameron Allen's the guy that, that I've kind of looked at as, as, as has having the highest potential to be the number one pick uh, among defensemen in this draft, has, has a lot of the tools that we're looking for. It doesn't necessarily have the size, but he's got a lot of the tools that we like um, in the modern defenseman, the way that he moves pucks, right shot. It's got all kinds of different things that he does really well. Um and, you know, I, I think that th- he's got a chance. He's got a chance for sure. Um, but it is tough to crack in here and to, to crack this this forward group, which there is so much skill. But I'll, I'll turn it over to Corey because uh, uh, we'll see. He looks he looks like he might disagree, but maybe kind of agree. We'll see where this goes. I, I don't actually disagree that much. I, th- I think Allen is my number one ranked defenseman. And for the reasons you just said, I think he's very intelligent. He competes well. He's a good skater. Um, I think there's really good value there are two uh, both ends of the ice. What's interesting with this D group is the, the well at least early on seems like the top two defensemen in Allen and Guliaev are both five eleven defensemen. Uh, maybe Allen's a little bit closer to six foot. I think at this, I think at the, maybe he measured a five eleven and a half something like that. But regardless, not the biggest defenseman, and there hasn't been a whole lot of five eleven defensemen that have gone in the top five in True. recent years. Kill McCarr was one, but I would argue that neither Allen nor Guliaev have the same dynamic qualities as Kale McCart, even at that same age. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how their years go. You know, if Allen has a monster year, if Guliaev he had a really nice play, assist in the KHL uh, this past week, we'll see how he does versus men this season. That could be a very interesting variable there. Or is there another defenseman that we're not talking about, like a Kevin Korchinski, who really just keeps trending up as the year goes on and pushes his way, who has a more uh, prototypical skill set that, that looks that way. Even Jake Sanderson wasn't really in this conversation in the top five at the start of the year. It, it, it kind of built it True. on. But I, I when I look through the amateur ranks and the best players in the age groups, there isn't an obvious guy. There's some guys I can highlight. Maybe it's Theo Lindstein. Um, in Sweden, maybe it's Maxim Starback, the 05 Slovakian defenseman, has been playing Sioux Falls. Uh, there's you know, maybe someone from the program who I'm not really appreciating uh, well enough yet, but there's nobody that's really, really obvious yet that would have that more stare, prototypical uh, build for a top five defense pick. Uh, and yeah, like Kai Chris said, it's such a good four group. I don't even think that questioner even mentioned Charlie Stramel right. or, or, or Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out this season. All right. And then we'll close it out with this one from hockey South. Should there be a system similar to exceptional status in the CHL that lets a few under 20 players play in the AHL each year, the NHL is larger these days and there's enough talent to go around. I think it's kind of interesting. The guy asking this is, is named hockey South. I don't know if he's a stars fan, but that's a team that this feels pretty relevant for right now. I'm coming from Traverse city and just watching Wyatt Johnston, who obviously looks like a great prospect, had a tremendous season last year, but he didn't kick the door down either as someone who looked like a no doubt this guy has to be in the NHL guy. And yet the idea of sending him back to the O, uh, I can't imagine is very desirable for Dallas right now. Same thing with Stan Coven, who was also the yeah, WHL right. player of the year. Uh, it's interesting because I feel like whenever this question comes up all the time, and well, in some variation of it anyways, and I feel like whenever you ask fans this question, the answer is obviously yes. Like, why has this not? This should have been done ten years ago. Yeah, that needs to be put in. 
But when I ask people around hockey, not even in the CHL, people who work in the NHL, uh, whether it's scouts, whether executives, people, uh, you know, people who work in, in the management levels, uh, they are pretty much opposed to the idea. It's and it's more along the lines of we really like where the CHL is at. Let's not screw with it. And do and you can have reasonable debates about how much it would screw with it or not. I uh, you could I could see a really good argument that I don't think your typical junior hockey fan is showing up to a to a game because there's a marquee name there. It's it, I would argue it's more to support the local team. Um, but but I know there is significant opposition in the NHL uh, to that idea. But in terms of his question, should there be? I think from a pure player development standpoint, uh, the answer is yes. We saw this last season that when given the opportunity to put players in the American League, such as say what Detroit did with Donovan Sabrango, they chose to do that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I, I would, I would agree too. I think it could and should, um, you know, are the are the things here. I think should. The one thing I will say is that there is very little harm in in a player playing that extra year of junior. Um, it, it, I don't think they're going to get stale. I don't think they're going to get stagnant. Yes, there, there. I would prefer to see a player be challenged. I would prefer to see a player be forced to play up a level. You know, you see guys, and the AHL is a very difficult league for young players to play in. So there are only a select group of players that you would do that for. Guys like Donovan Sabrango, he's not a top end prospect, but he's a he's a good prospect that was prepared to play at that level and was able to play at that level and played well at that level. Um, so you couldn't do it for everybody, but I, I do think that, you know, if we want to be a player development first, you know, if that's the the priority, um, you know, getting those guys in the AHL sooner, the guys like Stan Coven, like Johnston, perhaps, um, you know, it, it, and you'd have to create the rules in such a, it's such a very specific way um, that would limit the amount of players that you would do that for. Cause you wouldn't want to do it for everybody. You really wouldn't. And it, it's not a good position to put the team in. It's not a good position to put the, the player in either. So, you know, but I, I will say those players that do go back to junior very rarely are going to get harmed by that experience. I, I haven't talked to the new regime about it, but I remember talking to the former AHL president, Dave Andrews about this issue. And he would always say, you know, we don't even think about this. We don't, it's not something that's near the top of our priority list. So I I just don't see that coming down the pipeline anytime soon. All right, that is going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. And subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. You're going to start with a 30-day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that. You can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. And right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.